So we've raised 12 million pounds of funding. Ethnic minority-led businesses are not funded as much as, as white founder-led businesses. There will be enough batteries that are needed by 2040. That they will fill globally you know, 23 times Wembley Stadium every single year. So I, I believe that we should be building business that's not just considering the financial return, but also the return to people and the return to, to the environment as well. I think we have a business that deserves to be there for the future. We want to impact positively over 100 million people around the world and we want to offset more than 25 million tons of carbon dioxide. Welcome to the Bay HQ, where we inspire, connect and guide the next generation of British Asians. If you're watching us on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button. And if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, make sure you leave us a five-star review. Today we have with us Amrit Chandan, who's the co-founder and CEO of Acceleron. They're maximizing the value of batteries to make a positive global impact. How are you doing today? I'm really good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. So you've made the way from Birmingham for us especially. I have, yes. So thank you for doing that. Travel down to the big city. Yeah. And you've got an interesting journey, right? And you've done a PhD and you're now transforming batteries in particular. But if you rewind, when you're growing up, did you ever think you'd be building your own businesses and doing the kind of thing you're doing today? I come from a family which is entrepreneurial. My, my grandfather moved here by himself and brought the whole family along the, the Kenyan migration route. And all of my all of my uncles, they all had their own businesses, have their own businesses. And I didn't want to have a small business myself. Uh, I saw the stress that my dad was under and family were under during times that it can be really stressful and decided that I wanted to have a standard corporate job. And it's worked out really well. Yeah, that's exactly what you've done. Yeah. And so you studied with like in the engineering space and the sciences space. What took you down that route in particular to study those subjects? I didn't really put much thought into what I wanted to study at university at all. I just chose a subject that I enjoyed doing at school and which was chemistry. And it was actually for me when I when I got to the end of my undergraduate degree that I realized I didn't want to pursue a graduate career. So I did what happened was I did two grant total of two grad scheme applications. And for those of you that that know what a pain it is, you, you have to deconstruct your whole CV, you have to answer essay questions and put it into an online form and you don't even get the courtesy of a response. You know, they, they sort of say, if you don't hear from us in two weeks, then uh, you haven't got the job or you're not going to be called for an interview. And I decided that just wasn't for me. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to live life like that. And yeah, I didn't have the perseverance to get through more than two forms. So I decided that I was going to walk my own path, do a different, diff do things differently. And so there was an opportunity to study for a PhD in chemical engineering. And I decided to pursue that. And when you took that decision, and I guess a lot of your friends then went on to, into corporate careers and did things like that. How did you feel about that when you were like at university studying harder? Did you feel like at the time you made the right decision? Or did you ever regret that decision? There were many times during my PhD where I <laughs> had real doubts about what I was doing. The PhD is a really grueling process. Um, it, a long year, you know, self-directed. You don't really have met much guidance or support as to what it is you're doing. And there were many times when I was really close to just calling that a day and, and deciding that I wanted to do you know, do something else. But I stuck with it and and wanted to see that through. And it was during my PhD that I started exploring what else I could do. So there was a small grant available from the university, and that's how I started 
my first business. It was a it was around the research topic, which was in in fuel cells and electric vehicles, and we were looking at how to how to commercialize them and 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 get product into the into the market. That gave me the the real taste of entrepreneurship, and I didn't ever really look back since then. So that 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 was my taste in entrepreneurship, and it was a talk that I heard. A UN scientist came to our research group and he said, the world is beyond saving. There's no point in even trying. That can damage the climate too much. Uh, this is almost 10 years ago. So is, is it the fun guy then? Yeah. <laughs> super depressing. Super depressing. And I, w- I was depressed for a week after listening to that talk and I decided that I wanted to do something about it. Um, we're on this planet, need to do something, try and make it better for all of us. One of my favorite phrases is, is a Native American saying that it goes, um, we borrow the resources of future generations. So I wanted to try and do something for that that future, those future generations. So with that first startup, how was that journey? Obviously, you've gone into a bit Acceleron now, but how did that first startup go? What did you learn from it? Yeah, so it was it was a consultancy-based um, business and learned some really basic things about sort of starting a business and we were bootstrapping it. So we, we didn't raise any kind of investment. We took a bit of seed money from the university. I think it was about £1,000. And uh, started prospecting for business and working with 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 partners and clients to to help them understand how to get their their disruptive technologies into market. And so learned quite a few things during that process. And it was it was scaling, uh, it starting to grow quite nicely. So we were getting some nice projects and and winning some big big projects because we were doing it as a side project from our PhDs, myself and it was another co-founder um, who was also a PhD student at the time. I finished my PhD and decided to to try and get some more experience in a bigger company doing the same thing and my uh, co-founder of that business really good friend of mine he decided to pursue an academic career so he moved over to the to the US and it was just a difference in aspiration as to what we wanted to to do with our careers so we we stopped doing that work and it was while I was at the larger uh, consultancy doing pretty much the same work then I met my current co-founder Carlton uh, of Acceleron, and we saw that there was a massive opportunity there with with batteries that we wanted to pursue. So I've, I've watched the video about Acceleron and the journey of how you met each other as well. And could you share that with the audience? Because it seems really crazy about how you guys met, and then you just got along so well so quickly. Yeah. So we met while working at the same whilst working at the same uh, company. Um, actually, we met at a trade show. So uh, Carlton was. Uh, he he got into a vehicle. We were both doing a test drive of this vehicle. He got into the vehicle. I was in the vehicle. We were we just started talking at that time, and then it turns out that Carlton was joining the company um, as a as an intern, and I, I was working there. And so we got along really well. Um, he's from the Caribbean originally, uh, so we both recognised and, and felt that sort of shared kinship of kind of not being not being sort of like everyone else in the in the mm-hmm. company and wanting to look at things differently and we both had a passion for creating things and doing and looking at sort of problems and challenges so we started acceleron it it really started as a lunchtime conversation we we knew we had known each other by that point for about a month um and decided to start putting in lots of applications to competitions and prizes and things to get some funding and test the idea and get some critique on the idea so it started out just really as a lunchtime conversation that progressed into a almost like an after-school project and then we decided that there was enough in it to to leave the place of work and 
to mm-hmm. pursue that as a as an option. It's interesting to mention there about how you both felt that you didn't quite fit in or you had different ideas to what other people were. How did that, like, as a person in a large company like that, having just done your PhD, and you know, obviously having done your PhD, you know your stuff, right? How did that feel? Like, was that something which, if Carlson hadn't come along, would you have continued to do, look at starting a startup? Or what do you think you would have done? So I think if I hadn't met Carlson at that point in time, I probably would have left anyway and done something more entrepreneurial. It was just, I found that the, the culture fit with the company wasn't, wasn't the best. So I was employed in a technical role and I was, I just found it very difficult with the way the the rigid processes and the way things were done. And it wasn't in line with what I was used to during my PhD, which is really self-directed and I know what the outcome is and what's needed. And, and I think I know the best way to, to get there. There was going to be a change at some point and we both decided that, you know, Carlton felt the same way and we, we wanted to do something different. So how did you settle on the idea of in particular batteries and what you're doing with Acceleron? And can you just explain as well what Acceleron actually does? Yeah, sure. So Acceleron is making batteries that are much more sustainable. So we came up with a way of constructing batteries that don't need permanent techniques. So we don't use any spot welding, we don't use any glues. This is a big problem with the way lithium batteries are made at the moment. So we know that there's a huge amount of batteries needed to give you power when the sun doesn't shine, when the wind doesn't blow, and also to, to power electric vehicles. But the issue is that they are made with these permanent techniques, spot welding and, and glues and so on. The challenge that creates is that they are not e- easy to repair, maintain, upgrade, recycle over time. And that creates a massive looming waste challenge. So it's kind of like if you're driving down the road in your car and something goes wrong with your car, you scrap the vehicle instead of getting it repaired. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah. So we we figured a better way. It was actually Carlton who came up with a better way of of doing this. I probably should explain his background. He's from the he's from the Caribbean, and he's a mechanical engineer by training, and and worked in the solar industry for a number of years. And he came to the UK to study for a master's in business and sustainability. While he was doing that, he was also on an electric motorcycle race team. So he was he was the battery engineer in that in that team. So he had some ideas about how batteries could come together in a different way. The rest is the rest is history as it as it goes. So could you illustrate so what's the scale of this problem for how many batteries are wasted and what's the damage that it does to the planet? There will be enough batteries that are needed based on the forecast that by twenty forty they will fill globally you know, twenty three times Wembley Stadium every single year. That's how many will be coming offline when they don't necessarily need to be. And there'll be 10 times that number in circulation. It's a huge amount of batteries that we're going to be using. And the problem is if we, if we don't use them efficiently, you know, many batteries will not pay back the energy that goes into their production and recycling because they're not used long enough. And it's all down to the way they're constructed. So if, if there's a few components in a battery which no longer work as well as they, as they would in their first life um, or when they were brand new, they... The whole thing at the moment is is waste. You can't do anything with it. You can't really use it. So if we can make that more efficient, make you really maximize the value we can extract from these batteries, then they can have a positive impact in the world. And we can we can really make sure we're treating the battery and all the metals and everything that goes into it as a precious asset, not as a consumable device. And you mentioned as well that you had this idea and then you went to different competitions and as it was a lunchtime project at the, at the start. What were the tipping points that meant that, okay, now this is something which we can take full time? Was it you won grants or what was it that made you decide like this is something which now 
it, we should dedicate all of our time to. Part of it was that we both felt the need to do something different. And so it was not, an, it was it was like pushing on an open door. And then part of it was the feedback. We didn't have any particularly large grants. We had small amounts of funding that were coming through from that. So maybe a thousand pounds here, a thousand pounds there. But we both thought that there was enough in it to to leave and, and uh, pursue full time. So it took a couple of years to get it to a place where, you know, I think the first 18 to 24 months, I wasn't taking a salary, Carlton wasn't taking a salary. We were just trying things out and testing things and seeing what worked, seeing what didn't work. And obviously now you say, you mentioned at the beginning, you were getting grants of a thousand or 2000 at a time. Whereas now you've got significantly more funding, right? How much funding have you raised overall and how did you go about raising that funding? So we've raised now, it's about 12 million pounds of funding over our journey and it's about half of that is in equity so people have bought shares in our company and half of that is through grants philanthropic funding yeah i've, I've learned a lot through the journey uh, I, I think there was a, so there's a there's a definite challenge where ethnic minority led businesses are not funded as much as as white founder led businesses and it's and it's even worse for women-led businesses so there's a definite disparity in terms of the amount of money that's going into it. When I started, I had no idea about fundraising whatsoever. I had no idea about how to do any of it. And it was just trying things out and and being naively optimistic that things will work. I think looking back on it now, I would have tried to have raised much more funding, but I didn't know any better. So the first funding round we did was £150,000 from friends, friends and family and, and angels. I really didn't, I mean, that's, that at the time felt like a lot of money and it really is not a lot of money. So yeah, there's lots of things I would do differently this time if I was starting again. I guess it's also the scale of your mission, right? Because for some businesses, 150,000 would do what they need to do. Whereas because you're trying to impact a global market that's got to have such an impact on the world, that's where you need the extra funding to really make that impact you want to make. And what are some of those lessons you learned about the funding side of things of how to because I think it's a common problem for a lot of people from like ethnic minority backgrounds, also like you said, women, where because they know there's these biases out there, it's then tough to then go out there and pitch because you think, have I got a chance? Are people going to see me and think, oh, I don't trust them? How, how did you go about that? Because then I think that could inspire other people listening to think, maybe I can get that funding too. I have now done five funding rounds, just starting a six. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's raising equity money. And there's many many different grants that we've won now over the over the years ranging from a couple of thousand pounds up to million pounds the biggest lesson is to you have to be ready for the rejection because there will be a lot of rejection doubly so because you know we are people of of an ethnic minority and just the fact that it's a self-fulfilling prophecy but the fact that you are someone of an ethnic minority that means you're inherently more risky to invest in because other investors don't want to put as much money in. So it's a yeah, contagion effect, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the capital that's available is, is lower. But I still think it's important to try and just go for it and have that naive optimism that something will, that blind optimism mm-hmm. that something will work and, and come through. Yeah, and I guess you've also now used that money to scale significantly, right? And you went from it being two of you sitting at, in the cafeteria chatting about what you could do about batteries and changing the world and actually being part of that journey and really doing that. In terms of that scaling, what are some of the hard lessons you've learned there about how to grow a business that maybe you didn't expect because you had that academic background rather than a business background? Getting the right people is critical, really critical. Um, if you get the wrong people, it can be it can be devastating for what it is you're trying to do. And especially when you're a small company and you're not 
self-supporting in the sense that you're you're overall profit profitable that can waste so much time and resource and energy and often it's the internal people challenges which are the most draining to deal with and the most challenging to deal with so definitely getting the right people higher slow and fire fast i think is the, the is one saying i think that might be one of the founders of indeed that said that but you know just get people in get them slowly and make sure they're right before before taking them forward and and sort of having them there and then it's it's getting it's having that being really intentional with the the culture of the business and what it is you're trying to do so and having that at all levels so that includes at a board level finding value aligned investors and sometimes it can be really difficult because projects and projects and and partners are there they want to work with you but they can be faustian faustian deals like you signing a deal Mm. with the devil they can yes you get some money now you get a partner now you can sort of you you use their name and say that you're partnered with them but if you're not comfortable with it right from the outset it will really make your life painful for you in the future yeah i think on that second point as well it's something which especially if you don't have a background or you know people who've got funding or you don't have that experience then there are a lot of people out there who are sharks right they're trying to see how can i get money into this business and then extract as much value as possible for myself rather than necessarily believing in your mission and what you're trying to achieve and it's really difficult for somebody at the early stages to know who to trust and who not to trust. And this is what hopefully we're trying to do, other organizations are trying to do, is connect people in that way. And what have you learned about that process of how do you judge who you should partner with and who shouldn't? Have you got any criteria that have built up over time of, okay, red flags, okay, if somebody does this, then maybe be more cautious? Again, it comes back to value alignment. So make a judgment on whether the people you're dealing with are ones that you think will actually are value aligned. They believe in the same things that you do. And I don't mean politics or religion or anything like that, but actually their moral compass is the same as yours or very similar mm. to yours. I think the other the other point is to talk to as many people as you can and get into as many networks as you can. So I find that really helpful. I've received so much support from various mentors. So find a mentor as well. Mm. That's a really powerful thing. Again, I really like quotes. One of Another favorite one of mine is from... Isaac Newton, who said, if I can see far, it's because I stood on the shoulders of giants. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's an acknowledgement that, you know, this, you just really don't know and you learn from, learn from everyone. And, and there's a lot of learning from mentors, from peers as well. So getting into peer networks with other, other founders and other people who are leading businesses and raising funds and learning from them and, you know, doing the due diligence on the investors in particular, but also on partners as well. Often you overlook that because you see the prize of the, the name and you know who they are, but being really careful with with that and doing that due diligence to make sure that they are the right partners is is good. And what stage is Acceleron at today? Like what's what does your day to day look like or what you're working on right now? And then also what are you most excited about in terms of what's coming up soon? So we've just launched another funding round. They're, they're never ending. <laughs> <laughs> and what I'm most excited about is the next phase of our journey, which is scaling our company and doing that through technology partnerships. So we are too small. Our access to capital is too limited to set up a, a big factory somewhere and start making lots and lots of batteries. And actually the way for us to have the most amount of impact is to work with manufacturers and work with suppliers that already already are either producing or want to produce batteries and get them adopting our technology so that they can they can do this at scale so that's a bit that's the next phase of our journey which i'm really excited about and we've got some great partners on board as well so uh, working with partners like like 
Toyota who have invested in our company and, and some of the investors we have as well. And then like, what, what does success look like for you, right? So what's the big dream that you have for Acceleron? and where the company could get to. So I, I believe that we should be building business that's not just considering the financial return, but also the return to people and the return to, to the environment as well. If we can bake in that sustainability and have a business that addresses all three, I think we have a business that deserves to be there for the future. In terms of our specific goals, we want to impact positively over 100 million people around the world, and we want to offset more than 25 million tonnes of carbon dioxide. And one thing I know you're doing as well, right, because you've obviously got the batteries you're building, but there's also a program you have of Africa, right? What is that about? What does that do? So we work, we are working in in emerging markets. That's a key that's a key sector for us because, in particular, it's not just that people need the batteries there, but that they don't even have the recycling infrastructure to deal with the batteries when they are there. So and and in many parts, especially rural parts of Africa, the only thing that can be done with waste is to burn it, and that's hugely damaging to the environment, hugely damaging to people as well. So. We're working with partners like Toyota, uh, Total, Shell Foundation in the local market to showcase the technology and then use that as a platform to create partnerships to scale our business. So it's really exciting what you're doing and like really excited to see what happens with it. We're going to need to move on to the quick fire questions now, just looking at the time. So the first one is, who are three British Asians that you'd love to shout out that you think people listening to right now should be following or paying attention to? So the three British Asians I would really like to shout out are, one is my my cousin, Dr. Jort Chandon. So not only is he a doctor working in the NHS, he's also just finishing a PhD and he's also a police officer at the same time. So he's working in the police force. So he's doing just about everything you can imagine <laughs> all at the same time. I don't know where he gets the time, but it's amazing to watch. And he's been on the BBC and he talks about the work that he's been doing quite a bit. So really representing representing our, our our community. And then the second shout out is to Dr. Ranjit Saigu. So he's he's my cousin as well and an entrepreneur. So he he makes the most amazing fine art and his pieces are available. He's on he's on I think all the young people call it the gram. <laughs> he's on Instagram as well. And yeah, really, really cool to see what he does and how he does it. As well as being a, a full a, a doctor as well. Um so I believe he's a plastic surgeon as well. Um, and then the third shout out is to an entrepreneur, Beyant Singh, uh, from Birmingham. Uh, so he's just started a company called Vardhan. And what they are doing is really amazing. Uh, they are chronicling our history, our shared history. So they are they are working with elders within the community and, and recording videos and doing in-depth interviews to understand all the history that we have from the Punjab all the way to here in the UK. So well worth it if you're interested in in, in documenting and archiving your, your family history while the elders are still here to reach out to him. Yeah, so a multi-talented family you've got there. Very lucky to be part of it. And the next question is, if people right now are listening and looking for guidance or help, what could they come to you about? I would be really happy to help out with um, introductions to my network um, help with fundraising, in particular in the sort of in the tech space, and just to be a sounding board. And then on the flip side, is there anything that you need help with right now, or Accelerum needs help with? So right now we are raising funds. So if any any anyone <laughs> out there wants to get involved and 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 uh, contribute, that would be amazing. And then finally, so thanks so much for coming on. Have you got any final words to the audience? I just really like to to end with that. You know, this planet is is shared. We are we are borrowing the resources of future generations. So anything we can do to preserve that legacy for the future. Uh, and, and this is not, we're not talking many, many generations, but even the next generation, our children mm -hmm. are going to face immense challenges that we can only imagine. And so, 
even just bringing it right back to the near future, we need to do something together. Hello, hello everyone. Thank you so much for listening. It means a huge amount to us. And we don't think you realise how important you are. Because if you subscribe to our YouTube channel, if you leave us a five-star review, it makes a world of difference. And if you believe in what we're trying to do here, to inspire, connect and guide the next generation of British Asians, if you do those things, you can help us achieve that mission. And you can help us make a bigger impact. And by doing that, it means we can get bigger guests, we can host more events, we can do more for the community. So you can play a huge part. So thank you so much for supporting us.